So we are in Galatians. Where were we last when you were here, Adrian? Um, you remember? Before Argentina, it was Romans. We haven't moved very far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we got out of Romans, so that's a good start. <laughs> we did get first through first and second Corinthians while you were gone. <laughs> And nobody's here since we did anything in Galatians, so I have to figure out where we left off. Mm-hmm. I think we are on chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 21. Victoria, mm-hmm. since you're the first, this is the first time you've been to this class, I'll ask you to read first. <laughs> okay. uh, read verses 21 through 27. Okay. What kind of version are you guys all in? Oh, you don't have to read the same version. Okay. Okay. Contribute our own. All right. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but a son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai and Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. That's disturbing to me. (laughs) (laughs) Denigration of Hagar. (laughs) Just, yeah, the whole thing of how real life stories and people become allegories. Yes, because it's real, and then how... How can you say, you know, basically one's right and one's wrong, and one's of promise and one's of the flesh? Because they, they had their lives. So, so were they all rejected by God? Mm-hmm. No, God God uh, talked to Hagar right, and gave her the promise of a child in, in a way that was parallel to Abraham. I'm talking to Abraham. So... From God's perspective, no. I think what we have to do is always keep in mind that symbolism isn't necessarily reality in terms of salvation or in terms of how we treat people. Symbolism is just to make a point. And I know it's hard to divorce those two. It is hard. It is hard. But that's funny. I was asking my husband about the story of the prodigal son. He said the same thing. He just said, yeah. 
but you can't take every detail right and apply it because it's and make certain judgments about it yeah point mm. yeah and so but that one is for reals a parable but we see it played out all the time but this one's like you know real stories in the bible so anyway mm-hmm. it's hard mm-hmm. just have to keep reminding myself of that yeah I mean, it's as hard as living in our physical world right now today. Mm-hmm. And we're living our real lives. Well, and yet there's... <clears throat> it's hard for us because... Jesus. You know, this whole thing of just the spiritual aspect of who we are. We, it's hard for us, especially because his, he was writing to people uh, strongly influenced by Judaism. Mm-hmm. The Judaizers had been coming to Galatia and trying to entrap them in circumcision. So Paul, in a sense, is speaking to the Judaizers who are steeped in, we are the descendants of Sarah. We are the descendants of Abraham. And so... Literally speaking. Literally speaking. And that to them gave them salvation. In fact, two Sabbaths ago I was giving an overview of Ezra and Nehemiah it talks about the peoples of the land, the peoples of the land who were the ones that were taken in captivity. Well, their ancestors have been taken into captivity into uh, Syria, and other peoples have been brought by Assyria back to Israel, and they commingled and intermarried and, and all of that, and so they became known as the people of the land. And that was not a and that was not a favorable term. It was a denigrating term. Mm-hmm. And that lat- term lasted into the New Testament, into Jesus' day, because they, they, if you could not prove your genealogy before the exile, in other words, you cannot trace it back to the period of the Zadok priests, which I think operated in the time of David, if I'm not mistaken. You you are not legitimately sons of Abraham. And therefore, you could not enjoy the privileges of salvation. You were second. You were like stepchildren. You were second best. So Paul is dealing with a, a generation of people for whom it is not moral to denigrate other people and to put them down and, and so on. So he's trying to make the what is the, what is the point he's trying to make here? Seems like he's including everyone in in the inheritance of of Sarah. He's not saying right. The, the puzzling part is that he's not saying that Hagar's children are also included, but he's saying everyone can be saved through the Sarah lineage. Okay. Maybe we should read on because I think our answer is in chapter 5. Um, Susan, would you read chapter 5, verse, verses 1 to 6? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through spirit, by faith, 
are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. This is hard news if you've been raised on keeping the law. Mm -hmm. This was very hard news for the Adventist church in 1888. They were very... um, They weren't thinking circumcision, though. They were thinking what? Ten Commandments. Okay. They did not want to believe that Paul was talking about the Ten Commandments. And Ellen White had to straighten them out a little bit on that. When Paul talks about circumcision, he's basically trying to do away with it in terms of anything having to do with salvation. Did Jesus or God intend when he told Abraham to be circumcised in his household? Was that intended for Abraham and his household only? And people kept it on that because they said, oh, well, because Abraham did it, now we have to do it? Or was that really? It was a sign of the covenant, so it lasted um, as long as they were keeping the covenant. In other words. Was it just intended for Abraham and his household, though? No. It was intended for everybody under the covenant. All his. Keep in mind, ancient Near Eastern understanding, your descendants are a part of you. You are, the whole household is all your descendants. So when God gives Abraham the covenant, he's giving it to him and his descendants. But here's the thing, and I've, I've talked about this several times before in this class. The original covenant was one by faith, and this is what Paul's contention in Galatians is. The original covenant that God made with Abraham. Abraham believed God and or trusted God and God counted him as his righteousness. So when Abraham then said God said, "Okay, I'm going to give you not only descendants, I'm going to give you a land grant. I'm going to give you all this land." Abraham says, "How do I know this is true?" So God condescends to do this really strange ceremony of the animals and the torch and all of that. And then he goes to, then Abraham takes Hagar as his wife and tries to fulfill the covenant on his own terms. So this isn't about Hagar. This is about Abraham making a very grave error because he shifted from faith to doing it on his own. And because of that, God says, okay, we're going to have to have another Another way of doing covenant. You're going to have to cut to cut to make a covenant in Hebrew is to cut a covenant. You're going to have to cut a covenant very close to you because you took it on yourself to do it. You have to do it to yourself, mm-hmm. so that you reminded every time you do circumcision that you fail to trust me. <laughs> That's it. So. So basically, circumcision was never God's original plan. He did it in response to an emergency where he's losing Abraham because Abraham wants to trust himself instead of God. Well, that's why I'm saying it seems like it's a very personal thing for that, his personal story. Because once you get two, three generations, even one generation, but more generations beyond that, and they're still doing circumcision, they lose why it was done. Mm -hmm. It was done for, like, what you just explained. Which is why, even in the Old Testament, you have circumcise your heart. Right. Um, Yes. That's Ezekiel. There's a kind of 
trying to switch them from the very literal nature of, of mm-hmm. circumcision to something more spiritual. And that's why Paul feels, feels free to abandon it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't abandon, abandon it entirely. He had Timothy circumcised because Timothy had a Jewish mother. And yes. he didn't want to cause problems. I was say, it sounds like it's more like of a cultural respect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not the spiritual right. salvation part. Right. No, I don't think he considered himself doing a spiritual act in that. Right. From, from what I read, Paul was fairly mindful about what was actually necessary in, in pushing people's comfort zones culturally. And so if the lack of circumcision, like with Timothy, would have been a like stumbling block for someone, then it, it makes sense based on what he says to, to go ahead with it, even if it's not a spiritual necessity. But Luke, who was Greek, he never had circumcised. Because mm. culturally it, didn't, it wasn't necessary in that case, maybe. No, the Greeks never did circumcision. Right? Okay. Now keep in mind, when God institutes circumcision... A lot of peoples around Israel were doing circumcision, including the Egyptians. The Egyptians did it at puberty. Uh, God makes it at infancy, probably to to, uh, take care of damage psychologically. Um, Though I have to say my... I don't know why this happened, but my father wasn't circumcised when he was born. And so when he was 14... Oh my, my uncle took him and said, you have to be circumcised. Oh, dear. And my dad, being 14 and not able to withstand his brother, who was about 8 years older than he, or 10, 10 years older, I think. And my, brother, my dad was an afterthought. <laughs> Submitted. Well, I'm assuming they did it done. They were done medically. Yes, they were done in a hospital (laughs) under anesthesia. Yes, yes. (laughs) But yeah. So did he say that for spiritual reasons? I think so. I think my think knowing my uncle, he probably did. Oh yeah, you wouldn't be saved if you weren't circumcised. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, which is not true. It does seem that, the, at least within Adventism, the majority still thinks that circumcision is required by Torah. Either required or or not not erased in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is it's very fallacious if we read Paul. Hmm. I mean, in my mind, when I had my son, it's just kind of like, oh, it's protocol. <laughs> Yeah. I, I never once did I even think of it in certain well, terms. Well, mo- in modern times, we have tended to do it for medical reasons right. rather than spiritual mm. reasons. <laughs> My mom and dad had a debate for the little brothers, and mom said, well, why don't we let them choose later in life? And dad's like, no, <laughs> you do it when they're tiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who so. would choose that? Who would choose that? <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, when I um, when I talk about this in class, I have a room full of male and female, mm. uh, and I talk about God and referring to Abraham. Okay, now you're going to have to cut it, the covenant closer to home. You're going to have to cut yourself and all the men. 
in the classroom kind of go. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> he was an adult. Right. They were himself. Right. And Ishmael was 13. Mm-hmm. Right. So in a sense, Ishmael was under the covenant. Mm. For some reason, Paul doesn't mention that here. But Paul, Paul is using allegory. One of the things we need to understand is that allegory was very popular among the rabbis of Paul's day. They all use allegory. And in allegory, you play fast and loose with the facts. <laughs> You're just there, there doing it to make, create a point. But he confused it because it's a real story. <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> he even mixed it up more. Which I think it's <clears throat> this element of using our whole brain. Right? Because... The left is just facts and, you know, very logical and you just take everything. And the right is allegory or it's more creative or it's more... Yeah. So it's trying to engage our entire brain in it. And I think we have a hard time doing this. It's very difficult. Well, we're... Do it at the same we, time. Our thinking comes from Greek culture. Yeah, that too. Which is something I just this last week we talked about in honors class. Well, Greek thinking is linear, so right. it's logical. Right. And Hebrew thinking is holistic. Mm -hmm. And it's dynamic, whereas Greek is, uh, is static. Greek thinking is static. You have one fact, and it's the only right fact. And you have one truth, and it's the only right truth in, Hebrew. in, in Greek. Oh, you said, mm -hmm. okay. They're static. So you have fixed, a fixation of, of ideas rather than dynamically moving ideas that constantly change as the need arises. And then the other aspect is uh, Hebrew is temporal in time, not controlling time, not gauging time or measuring time, but it is in time. So it's in the flow of time. Whereas uh, Greek thinking is spatial, place fixed place. Anybody here read Paralandra by C.S. Lewis? Parts of it. Haven't, haven't finished it. You remember the fixed land? Yes, I think so. The, okay, let me, for, for those of you who have never read Paralandra, let me explain. He, he, C.S. Lewis tried to do a kind of parallel to the um, history of this planet, the fall the, the creation of human beings in the fall and and then redemption from the fall. Only he decides to play it out as though God intervenes and stops the fall from happening mm -hmm. by sending his son before before it could happen. So the, he picks the planet Venus. I, he picks the star Venus <laughs> as a planet. And he has... I may have that wrong. So anyway, he, <laughs> he picks a planet, and there's fixed land on the planet, and then there's the rest of the planet, and you can walk on it, but it has a, like, a wave-like thing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like resting right on water, and as the water rolls, you, the, the land rolls, mm -hmm. and it's not fixed. It's dynamic. And... Uh, the two beings, the couple that God creates on the planet, are warned to stay away from the fixed land. Mm. 
they're to be with the waves because they're to live in trust. That's the whole concept. To live in trust in God and to stay on that kind of rolling land. And so the personification of the devil comes and is trying to get them to go to the fixed land and saying, you know, it's so much easier to live on if you go to the fixed land. And Ransom is sent. That's his name. Ransom is sent to keep them from going on the fixed land. He ends up killing the devil. So that's C.S. Lewis's... uh, And and keep in mind, he wrote this during World War II, when the big question for theologians was the one that Bonhoeffer wrestled with. Do we use force against force? Mm -hmm. Should we take out Hitler? So... In a way, Paralandra is dealing with that question as well. Mm-hmm. But but I, I think of that fixed land as kind of an ideal way of looking at Greek thinking versus mm-hmm. the rolling land that's dynamic and not steady and fixed mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as more the Hebrew thing. So would you say there's cultures in this world or countries that think more Hebrew-ish? I'm sure there are. And which, what country would that be versus... Are thinking that's more Greek. The Arabs think it to some degree, but but the 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 Hebrews do it to a T. The Babylonians were a mixture kind of Hebraic thinking to a large extent, but also some Greek type thinking. Because once you have idolatry, you have stasis, you have the static, mm-hmm. because you've fixed your God in a form. But it it still is a little more dynamic than than the Hebrews. I mean, than the Greeks are. I mean, a little more dy- dynamic, yeah, than the Greeks are, because the Greeks are totally static in their thinking. Any other cultures that think this way? I'm trying to think of the name of them. They live in Spain. In Spain. And they, they're a very small group, kind of tribal. They used to be sheep herders that migrated um, from place to place. All that's coming to mind is Bedouins, but no, that's not. That's no, they're, this is Europe. Israel, right, right. Um, I have a friend who's okay. part that. Mm-hmm. And it's a very playful, la- laid-back Society, but I can't think of the name. Adrian knows what I'm talking about. I think so, but it won't come up with the name. So, yeah. Yeah, it's not a name you hear every day. What Paul is talking about in verses 7 to 12, well, first of all, in verses 1 to 6, his punchline is. Neither circumcision. So you, can, you can go ahead and do circumcision, but don't do it to count for anything in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Now we come to verses 7 to fit 1, I mean to 12, and I'm going to... Oh, Adrian, would you read that? Sure, please. Yeah. Uh, this is still chapter 5, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. My version has castrate. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you go all the way? If you're going to do circumcision, why don't you go all the way? Just go all the way. (laughs) I think Phillips adds that, actually. Go all the way and castrate yourself. (laughs) Paul sometimes has has biting statements. He gets, how shall I put it? I'm pointing between two things. One is he gets stingingly Jewish (laughs) in his comment. The other thing is that he is a temperament type that can get caustic. Mm -hmm. And Paul can get caustic. Now, this is referring to um, the Jews who are trying to push circumcision on the Galatians. That he's... Right. Okay. He's, uh, he's talking about the Judaizers. And the Judaizers, right. He wishes the Judaizers would castrate themselves. Mm-hmm. His, that's his version of, if your hand offends, you cut it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're starting a new place and we're needing to close up. So any anything any questions or anything that you'd like to pursue in closing? You know, just the the phrase a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I'm not sure whether to take that as the negative that the Judaizers are messing things up. That's playing off of the leaven of the Pharisees. Okay. Leaven in the Bible can, well, I think Jesus uses it both in a positive construct right. and a negative mm-hmm. construct, which I think is healthy because it works both ways. Mm-hmm. But it, it, Paul's using it here negatively of okay. the Judaizers and saying, you are poisoning the church mm-hmm. with your mm-hmm. insistence on circumcision. And keeping, they, they didn't just advocate cir- circumcision. They advocated keeping the law of Moses. Right. In all aspects. Wow, we haven't changed, have we? We get stuck on these topics that are so non-issues mm-hmm. about our relationship with God and salvation. It's the same today. I don't know whether I should mention this or not. But we just had annual council. Yeah. That's what I was going to talk about. <laughs> That's why I said it, because they were talking about that. And I was like, well, we're stuck. Why are we spending all this time on this? It's ridiculous. But the difficulty is, we, like, as people, we, we want rules. And you talk to people, you think, like, I take a fairly liberal stance on this. And I talk to people who agree with me. And we agree up, up until the point that they want the rule. And then it's it's just an opinion thing, and it's like where 
Where do we need rules? Because we don't want absolute control. We don't want absolute control, but we we also don't want everything relative. Because if everything's right. relative, you go completely secular, right. and you end up with Uruguay. And and so the, the question, like, there have to be mm. rules somewhere, but but the how? rules the rules should adhere to scripture and principle. They should not be just something we think we should impose on everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And the rules should come out of scriptures. They should come out of principle. The problem with what's happening is that a vote was taken that was not a rule. It was a denial of a request. Mm, Okay. It did not establish policy. And now we're calling it a rule, we're calling it policy, and we're, we're administering punishment. When the, when it never was a policy, it never was a rule. It was just the rejection of a request. So to administer punishment for that is just way off the chart mm-hmm. of what is appropriate. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're so far down that road that we can't even look back and see it. So everybody's kind of like, oh, what do we do now? <laughs> kind of thing. I mean, there's no clear perspective mm-hmm. on this whole thing when it began. And and to create and and the rule has not been voted. I mean, not the rule, the the punishment has not been voted until this week. Hmm. What ended up coming out of that? I saw the proposal. They uh, they were okay. Four unions in Europe right. were going to be uh, re- um, uh, warned. Mm-hmm. Two unions in North American division were to be reprimanded. Right. And somebody wanted to amend it to all unions being warned. Mm. And so they did that. And warned of what? That if we continue in this way, (coughs) you will be reprimanded. You will be reprimanded. You will be reprimanded. Which means that every time a person gets up to talk, that it's announced that they are being they are reprimand under reprimand <sighs> for not compliance. Oh dear! It's public shaming. Yeah, like I say, I mean, remember, reminded me of the Scarlet Letter when he said that. <laughs> I mean, just this whole thing. You had to wear. Well, that was. Clear. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now a Scarlet. Have have d- now we have reprimand. Scar- Scarlet W. <laughs> <sighs> right. It's like what in the world. So we're wasting all this time and energy and destroying our spirituality. Yes. We're destroying ourselves we are. over it. And it's very sad. But like like you're saying, Adrian, this whole idea of needing rules or guidelines, if not your way over here, we've never figured that out as a people mm-hmm. in this world. Right. You know, no. well, there's, we don't understand what it means to live in God's way. Yeah. This fluid way, yeah, um, yeah, and to me, it. to me, God's way is He loves us, and we respond to Him in love and trust, and that's how we're supposed to live with one another, right? And when you start put packing out a bunch of rules, love and trust diminish, 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 and we're controlling other people 
instead of learning to live in love and trust. It's a completely, it's a personal way that we're supposed to live in personal relationship with God and personal relationship with others. Rules tend to make put barricades and boundaries and all kinds of things to keep us from having a personal relationship. Mm. And that's why God God only introduces rules when it becomes absolutely necessary, or he, out of chaos. Another way of looking at this is the psychological paradigm, where immaturity is either rigidity or chaos, <laughs> and maturity is integration. Mm-hmm. And by looking at it that way, um, I think it's easier to understand that when we, we are rigid, we're just as immature as the people were rigid over the chaos people. <laughs> and, when the chaos, and the chaos people are just as immature as the people who are trying to control them. But when we're integrated, we have a holistic vision of how we're to relate to one another and to relate to God and how God relates to us. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, so we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's right. What does that mean? Because we're stuck in the middle yeah. of this rigidity and fluidity in chaos. Mm-hmm. And, and we're stuck in this... We're not in the new... I think... I think we're literally in this middle ground, and it's very difficult. I think um, that has been the biggest struggle of my life, mm-hmm. is keeping my eyes on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in keeping... And what does that mean in, in relation to how I relate to you? Yeah. Well, if I, if I keep my eyes on Jesus, I'm seeing you through his eyes. And his way is fluid. Yeah. He doesn't give you these rules... Mm-hmm. He loves, mm-hmm. and so it's really hard to love in that way, and 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 allow for fluidity of the other person and their choices and all that stuff, and still love, and then realize, but that's not the guidelines. Like trying to give direction, mm-hmm. you know, all of that is that, that's extremely difficult. Do you know what I? I uh, saw something really interesting. It was something psychological, and I thought, "Oh, I'd, I'd be interested in getting onto this." So I started to sign up. It cost. It was a program thing online that you get into, and they asked me for my psychology credentials. <laughs> I was like, whoops, I obviously can't do this. But I still get all their emails. And they're interesting, the little bits and pieces I can pick up from the ads. Mm -hmm. One of the recent ones was, what do you do when your client, this is talking to a counselor, Mm -hmm. what do you do when your client seems to get stuck? Mm -hmm. And the answer was, compassion. That compassion actually transforms the brain. That it actually does something neurobiological. And I, I'm finding this whole group, they're really into neurobiology. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm finding this whole group just 
fascinating. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could see. I could have the money and had the qualifications to be able to go through the whole series, because I just find it so fascinating. Well, I guess that's the other thing about Hebrew and Greek thinking is, um, it's it's a process oriented, and I guess or more story, mm-hmm. and that's not a yes or no answer. No, it's not a quick. It's not a right now, and right. it's it's living through it. Yeah. Right. And so, well, and that's like even even in teaching, like I've been doing a bunch of research on science education stuff, and there's this whole new wave of active learning because so much of our culture right now is here are the facts, here's a yes, here's a no, here's a you know multiple choice, and all the research is showing that the act of learning, the story learning, is actually how we learn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what we see. <laughs> yeah. Right. Maybe that's why I'm always ending up in class telling stories. I do it all the time, and I, usually they're my stories. Well, that's what Jesus did. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I have I have full engagement. <laughs> Everybody's listening. It's all right. stories. I mean, um, that's the only way they'll remember it unless you hammer yeah. in the information. Um, I'm sure there's. Uh, there was one point when I told a story badly, and they got really bad idea from what I did. <laughs> and I'm sure they never forgot the bad part of what I thought I did. <laughs> but, but it is true, and and compassion is experiential. And once you show a person compassion. It actually is transforming of their lives. And that's the goal God has, and we're going to get to this in Galatians. His goal is transformation rather than conformity. By what? Transformation then rather than conformity. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's love that transforms. That's the only thing that does. So our, our, our prayer should be, God, teach us how. <laughs> Father in heaven, we we know our inadequacy, and and we look at this at scenarios, the scenarios that we've painted, and the ways we've uh, approached this, and we know we fall short, and we we don't know how to reflect you to others, to to engage in them in such a way that transforms our lives. And we can't do this of ourselves. <clears throat> That's Paul's whole point. We can only enter into a love and trust relationship with you, and we don't even know how to do that. So we pray that you will love us, that you will so love us that we experience your love. Help us to pray for it. Help us to sense it. Help us to sense your presence so that we might be loved, and then we can love other people. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.